Hey, New City, I've got a really great announcement for you. And I know you, if, you, if you've paid attention to social media, you already know. Um, but if you're not following us on Instagram or Facebook, you're going to have to wait until the end of the sermon <laughs> to hear the really good news. So hang on. Uh, I've got really good news coming up. I really want you to, uh, to hang on to, to hear that and celebrate so we can all celebrate together. And if, you, if you're watching on the live stream today, there's a, a heart button. Uh, so when you hear that good news, you can hit that heart button or you can leave a positive comment there. Uh, it's just so everybody can see uh, your celebration of what God is at work doing at New City. All right, so we are in uh, the Psalms, and this is the hardest of all the Psalms. Uh, I do believe Psalm 109 is the most difficult Psalm of all of the Psalms to study. And because the Psalm is one of the imprecatory Psalms, it's a Psalm of judgment, a Psalm of cursing, and it seems to work against what we understand to be true about Christianity. Uh, it seems to be uh, exalting vengeance almost. And uh, in the first reading of it, if you've ever read it, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll read along as we, we'll read along. Uh, there are many times when you're reading this, this particular psalm, you're like, whoa, this does not feel Christian. And if you felt that, uh, you're in good company. Many theologians, including C.S. Lewis, uh, over the years have said this psalm uh, maybe is one of those that we shouldn't take too seriously. Uh, however, I think we should take it seriously because it deals with a very serious issue, uh, personal pain and hurt. Uh, the big question I want to begin with in the sermon is why do we desire vengeance? You know, why, why, what, where does that desire for vengeance come from? Well, we desire vengeance in order to right the wrongs that we've experienced in life. And if you are one of those unlucky ones of life who experience a, uh, darkness uh, on on you know, there is darkness that's just normal course of life darkness, but there's darkness on another scale. And those of us who have felt that darkness on another scale in life have felt that deep feeling of vengeance, like something should be done about this. A wrong has been committed, and it needs to be made right. And to make it right, penance has to be paid. And there are truly dark experiences that compel us to cry out for retribution. Uh, there are those dark experiences that we are all familiar with. In fact, as a nation, I feel like people are more in touch with the darker side of humanity right now than maybe ever before. And more people are calling for some version of retribution, uh, probably the, the, you know, as, as far as like communally, than ever before in my lifetime. And, and I am on the solution side usually of these issues. I'm always looking for uh, what's the solution. I don't want to bellyache over what's going on wrong in the world. I really want to be on the solution side. And so whenever I start to feel that stirring up inside of me, I immediately start to go looking for where can I serve? What can I do? What good can I create in the world? And my son Mike and I had the the real blessing of serving uh, the harbor recently. We went to the harbor, which is a teen drop-in center. It's tied into the Mexico Dream Center, which is also caring for children who are victims of sex trafficking. And, and, uh, and I, you know, children, the, the well-being of children in our city is close to my heart. I want to see, see God do good in that area, in that space. And so when the unrest started happening uh, around us, I was like, let's go serve. That's, that was our reaction. And as we were serving at the harbor, I ran into uh, uh, one of the law enforcement uh, officers at our church. I mean, he's um, on the front lines of some of the darker stuff going on in our city, in our state. And I said, hey, how's, the, how's COVID affected your work? And he made reference to uh, uh, the conditions of our city and state as related to kids in a way that shocked me. So I went and looked it up online. I went to KOB's website, uh, the title of the article on KB's website was New Mexico's Internet Crimes Against Children Unit Sees Surge in Cases During Pandemic. 
Uh, he works for that unit, and uh, the article reads this way. So prior to the pandemic, we were seeing an average of 50 to 75 tips a month. That's tips for crimes against children. <laughs> and in the minute children started staying home throughout the state, our tips went up to 300 a month, from 50 to 75 to 300 a month. Uh, crimes against children quadrupled is what I understand happened in the earlier days of the pandemic, and they're still at double uh, their normal rates. I, I can't help but look at that and go, something needs to happen. Like, we need to do something about that. There are, there are darker sides of life, and those darker sides of life are the ones that have us all calling out for some kind of judgment, some kind of justice to be done. And I think, I really do believe this, we can take comfort in knowing that God is a just God. There is a certain amount of comfort that can come to us in knowing that God is a God of vengeance. Uh, in Romans 12, 19, the Bible says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There are certain instances in life, certain kinds of darkness where we can't help ourselves but to sit back and go, somebody ought to do something. And God says on the, on the page of scripture, I'm the God of vengeance and I am gonna do something. There is, there is a certain sense in which that does bring a level of comfort to the soul. See, seeking vengeance is interwoven with seeking justice. Uh, those two things are woven together. And I, I, love, I love watching movies where bad guys um, lose and good guys win and they don't have to be great movies for me to enjoy them because I just enjoy watching bad guys lose and good guys win. Uh, I don't know if where you are in your COVID entertainment cycle right now but we've been watching some Netflix at our home and we were running out of stuff and we were just kind of scrolling through Netflix and we got to like European films and South Korean films and we're like Man, I think this is our future <laughs> and, uh, uh, because there's not a whole lot being filmed right now. And so as we were looking through, we settled on Bad Boys, right? Bad Boys for Life, the Will Smith, you know, the, re, you know, the, the, the version two of the 90s film. And uh, it was like terrible dialogue. Uh, I, you know, the storyline was, you know, whatever. Uh, not a whole lot going on in terms of like, you know, stimulating m my brain. Uh, but good guys won and bad guys lost and I loved it. It was great. It was like entertaining. I, I love that because I love justice and I want to see justice done. And I think that's why, you know, when we look at storylines that have some kind of a fall, redemption and restoration, uh, we, when we have some kind of redemption storyline where heroes come in and save the day and bad guys lose and good guys win, uh, we celebrate those stories. Those are the, com the most common sort of storylines that we've have read throughout the ages. Now we may not all agree on what is just and how to do just work, but no one can deny that judgment of evil is necessary for human flourishing. Right now, there's a lot of debate about what is just action and what just action should we take. Uh, I'll tell you what people are not debating, whether or not just action should be taken. Because we all know that for human flourishing to happen, there has to be some just action. And God's judgment ought to be as comforting to us, I think, as it is troubling. To know that he is both a good God who is in control and he is just. In Psalm 94.1, we read, O Lord, God of vengeance... Oh God of vengeance, shine forth. How does God shine forth in his ultimate judgment? Well, in Revelation 21, when God makes everything new, this is what God does 
as a result of his vengeance, as as a result of his justice. We read about the new heavens, new earth reality when God makes everything new. Here's what we read. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring forth or bring their glory into it. And here's the key line. And its gates will never be shut by day and there'll be no night there. He says, I want you to think about this, that when God makes everything new and, and Jesus lights up the place with his glory, uh, you're, you're gonna be in this kind of, this, this, this city, this new city, this new Jerusalem, a city that... where the gates are never shut. A a city that is safe. A city that's secure. I mean, it's an existence where you don't have to lock your car doors anymore. You don't have to lock your front door anymore because evil has been eradicated and justice has been restored. And one day, evil will be eradicated and we will be safe in the presence of Jesus. That's the promise of Revelation 21. See, true safety requires the eradication of evil. The, the handling of it. Uh, the, the, uh, true, true safety requires that evil be addressed in some kind of just way. So Psalm 109 is, uh, as I've already mentioned, an imprecatory psalm. Now imprecatory psalms are asking for imprecations they, they, they are, that are curses or judgments against those who have done evil. And the theologians have struggled with the psalms, uh, the, the imprecatory psalms over the years. C.S. Lewis uh, is uh, one of the more notable ones. In his reflections on the Psalms, he says this. In some of the Psalms, the spirit of hatred which strikes us in the face is like the heat from a furnace mouth. Examples can be found all over the Psalter, but perhaps the worst is in Psalm 109. And so C.S. Lewis says, we're studying today the worst of the Psalms. In fact, he says, one of the options for the Christian is just to ignore it altogether. I don't think that we should do that. I think there's something glorious in Psalm 109 if we can look at it through the right lens and understand it in the right way. You see, in Psalm 109, David is being, uh, has been betrayed by a friend who, whose propaganda has undermined the nation's security. Uh, you, you see what's going on here in uh, verses one and following. There's a they there. So this, this, this one he's calling judgment on, uh, he, singularly he calls out judgment on the he, uh, but he mentions the they here. So the he is leading the they. And what's going on here, he says, be not silent, O God, my, my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues, They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Now this they that's being led by the he are not being led in a way of just action. They're being led in a way that seeks injustice. And they're putting the nation that David has been commissioned by God, anointed by God, they're putting the nation at risk, the people of the nation at risk. And so you see in Psalm 109, 16, David prays, for he, that's the leader of the they, for he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy, and the brokenhearted to put them to death. 
So here this unjust person is leading a group of people in a a chorus of accusation against David and trying to overtake his kingdom. That's the situation of Psalm 109. He says about the he, he says he loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. And so there are a few things here that David prays, and David, one, prays for judgment on the evil man. And this is the more you know, troubling part of the psalm. This is really where the imprecation happens in Psalm 109, starting in verse six and following. He's going to pray in light of this evil man who's wanting to lead this revolt against David's kingdom and is oppressing the poor and brokenhearted in the process, David prays this, this, this prayer of judgment. Appoint a wicked man against him, literally appoint a Satan against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. And so he's saying, topple him, take him down. Uh, take, Take him out. This is what he's praying to God. Then David prays for judgment on the evil system. Now this one's a little bit more difficult to swallow. Listen to what he says. This is, this is David praying against the system that this man oversees, namely his family, the system of injustice that he has created, namely all of his siblings and his extended family. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food uh, far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. It's getting uncomfortable. May his his, uh, posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that they may that they may that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. And so he's saying, not only judge this man, but judge this man's family and all the descendants of his mother and father. Let's just this is judge the whole system that created this individual. Now this is hard for us to swallow, okay, in uh, our Western American society. We think in terms of you know sort of the sovereign individual, but in other societies, the family was seen as part of a part of a system, part of a unit. Tim Keller takes a stab at this. He uh, gave a talk years ago that has been very helpful, and I highly recommend it. If you, if you, if you, will you just search YouTube for racism and corporate evil, Tim Keller, uh, you'll find this talk. And in the talk, Keller says this. Don't you dare think that just because you find that part of the Bible offensive, everybody in the whole world would think the Bible is offensive. That's culturally narrow of you to think that because most people, most places know that we are not just the product of our choices, individual choices. That if you uh, could do something bad, the fact that you can do it, what, uh, what helped you become the kind of person that can do it was to a great degree your family. He continues, your family produced you directly or at least failed to keep you from becoming that. And therefore, at least actively or passively, your family participates in your guilt. He says most Americans, especially white Americans, don't understand that. Not only are you the product of a community to a great degree, 
but that you, but that you, by even participating in that community, are producing other kinds of people with their particular kinds of character too, because of their interaction, because of your interactions with them. There is, he says, corporate responsibility even inside a family. And so David prays for judgment on the evil man, and he also prays for judgment on the system that created that evil man, and the system that evil man created. And then David appeals to the, to the sovereignty and goodness of God, and you see this in verses 21 and 31. He says, but you, O God, my Lord, O sovereign God, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. And then in verse 31 he says, for he stands, speaking about God, at the right hand of the needy one, to save him from those who would condemn his soul. So what are we to do with this? Um, if you were just to hit pause right now in the sermon, you might go home and think, well, I should start praying some curses on people, you know, and, and praying against their family and start calling God's judgment down on them. What are we to do with this? Well, Christians are, are called to love our enemies. That seems to be uh, not what's happening in David's psalm. Look at Luke chapter six. But I say to you, who, he, who hear, this is Jesus speaking, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So what do we do with this psalm? Christians are called to love our enemies and Jesus prayed for forgiveness for his enemies, the ones who were killing him on the cross. Look at Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Again, how do, how do we handle this psalm in light of the fact that we are to overcome evil with good? Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How are we to pray vengeance from God on those who are oppressing people when vengeance is God's alone? And we read that in, Rom in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Well, there are three observations, I think, from this text that we can draw that are helpful. And the first of the observations is, no evil will go unpunished. This is something that we can clearly see from this text. The second point is that Jesus is the only one who can sing the song. He's the only one who can sing a song of judgment because he's the only one who is righteous. And God's vengeance elevates God's grace. I think those three things you'll find to be true. Uh, no evil will go unpunished. What does this mean? Well, Jesus does not take away God's just vengeance. He became the object of it, and that's a key takeaway. God takes sin seriously, and vengeance is a part of the reality that God will take care of sin. Every sin will be paid for. And you read in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so the Bible isn't teaching that Jesus takes away the wrath of God. The Bible teaches that Jesus became the object of the wrath of God for us on our behalf because sin must be atoned for. And every act of evil will be accounted for. And I can tell you, this brings comfort to those of us who know the darker sides of life. That God takes sin seriously. Either you will be accountable for the evil you have committed or Jesus will be, and that's the good news of the gospel. For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus on the cross, when he became our substitute, said, I will pay the penalty for your sin, become the object of the wrath of God to take away the punishment that you deserve. You see, deep inside, we know that someone needs to be held accountable. I mean, you can't, I mean, honestly, you can't have a conversation with almost anybody in America right now without somebody saying that somebody needs to be held accountable. You just can't. Because we know it inside. There is right and there is wrong. And when you do wrong, you should be held accountable. And we cannot shake the longing for rightness. It's wired into our soul. Like we need, we need the world to operate in such a way that it provides for human flourishing, that righteousness is experienced in life. There are some wrongs that so obviously deserve to be dealt with, and those are the ones that help us understand the difficult problem of evil. Because there is a problem of evil. Theologians have talked about it for, for, for generations. Uh, the problem of evil simply stated, uh, if God is good, why, does, why do bad things happen? If God is good and he's powerful and he can do something about it, why do bad things happen? Why doesn't he do something about it? Really, there's a question behind that question, okay? So the question behind that question, if it, why, why do bad things happen, is, why doesn't God seem to care as much as I do? That's the question behind the question. So when people are asking about the problem of evil, what they're really asking is, why doesn't God seem to care as much about this as, as I do? I see the ugliness in the world, and I see the disgusting things that are happening in the world. It doesn't seem like God cares. And sometimes what they mean by that is it doesn't seem like the church cares. And, and, and so people will, will look, and they'll be like, what, does God care as much as I do? You see the ugliness of the cross, by the way? The ugliness of the cross had to be commensurate with the ugliness of sin. And one of the more difficult things to teach on, I mean, this is one of those things, like I don't know if you've, if you've ever tried to teach children's classes, like Bible studies, we tend to stick with the things that are easy to talk about, but man, it's, it is really hard. I mean, there is an age-appropriate time to talk about the cross of Jesus because it's gross, it's gruesome, it's ugly, but it's also commensurate with the reality of sin. And that does, by the way, bring comfort to those of us who have done the darker things of life. Because if you are one of those who have done the dark thing, and you have hurt people in your life, and you wonder, could, could, could my sin be covered? And you look at the ugliness of the cross and the seriousness of the Father pouring his wrath out on his son, you can't help yourself to know that God takes it seriously. See, the cross was not disgusting, so disgusting, we would not be able to take seriously Jesus' redemption for the ugliness of the human experience. And there's a reason why the cross is so bloody. There's a reason why Isaiah 53.3 says, he was, Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So three observations we can make for this text is one is, no evil will go unpunished. Either sinners are accountable for their sins or recipients of grace have received the righteousness of Jesus because he was accountable for their sin. And there are certain times of life when we're experiencing the darker stuff where that truth is, is, a, is a comfort. Jesus is the only one who can sing this song. Uh, Christopher Ashton's commentary says this. He says, 
The only one who can ultimately pray imprecatory prayers is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can pray these prayers from a sinless heart with no selfish motive of revenge, such as plague our hearts when we are maligned or wronged. And he is the one who will die the death for sinners to redeem redeem them from their sins, all who trust in him. You see, like David, Jesus did have a friend who betrayed him. In fact, when the apostle Peter was looking at the betrayal of Judas, and he was looking in the scriptures for where, where in the scriptures do we see the right text to apply to what Judas did to Jesus, it was Psalm 109. You see it in Acts 116, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, Peter speaking, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested him. So Judas is one who betrayed Jesus with a kiss for a handful of coins. And Acts 120, for it's written in the book of the Psalms, this is Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office, quoting from Psalm 109.8, may his days be few, may another take his office. See, what Psalm 109 foreshadows when Jesus was betrayed by a friend who attempted to undermine the salvation and security of the kingdom of Jesus. All what you're reading in David's psalm is David talking about his kingdom and the thwarting of the kingdom and the safety and security of people being put at risk. And here you see Judas, the ultimate betrayer, who was putting at risk the ultimate salvation. And Peter rightly observes that Psalm 109 is ultimately about Judas. You see, David is a type, says John Calvin, so that everything that is expressed in the psalm must be properly applied to Christ, the head of the church, and to all the faithful inasmuch as they are his members so that when unjustly treated and tormented by their enemies, they may apply to God to help, for help, to whom vengeance belongs. It is good news to know that Jesus is both the judge and the substitute. Uh, He is both the judge and our substitute. He's both things. Uh, Paul acknowledges it in Romans 3.26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be both the just and justifier. He's the one who holds the gavel, but he's also the one that says, my life for your life. He's the judge and he's the forgiver. And in that unique position, Jesus is the only one who can sing the psalm without vengeance in his heart because Christ wishes that none should perish, but all would have everlasting life. This is not a prayer that he longs to pray, but a prayer that he will pray, a prayer of judgment because sins will be dealt with. He would like to be your substitute. He would would like to be the answer for the darker things that you have committed in life. So no evil will go unpunished. She is the only one who can sing the song and God's vengeance elevates God's grace. It's been said that you will never know what it means to be saved until you know what it means to be lost. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we are all sinners, and that if we're honest with ourselves, there are things in our lives that we are all ashamed of. There are darker things that we wish we had not participated in, but we have. There is an ugly side to our story. The ugliness of your sin cannot compete, however, with the beauty of Christ's salvation. 
That's the good news of the gospel. That your sin can never be so ugly that Christ's beauty doesn't overwhelm it. That no one's guilt can outdo God's grace. It's just the truth of the gospel. No one's guilt can outdo God's grace. God's capacity to forgive far outweighs your capacity to sin. You, you, you can't be so far gone that God's, that you're, you're somehow outside of the, of the sovereign reach of God. Like he cares for you, he loves you, he's a redeemer, and he says, I want, I want your sins to be rightly atoned for by me. See, when we are praying for forgiveness, we are praying for God's vengeance to be satisfied in Christ's sacrifice. Know that. Like when you're asking God for forgiveness, what you're saying is, I know that forgiveness comes at a cost. The debt still has to be paid. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying the debt for me. The psalmist writes in Psalm 109, 31, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one. The right hand is an advocate. That's what Jesus is. He's our advocate for the purpose of salvation, to save. See, when we are praying for forgiveness, we are praying for God's vengeance to be satisfied in Christ's sacrifice. And when we are praying for justice, we are praying for Christ's resurrection to overcome every system that, of sin that holds us captive. We're saying, overcome every system of injustice, Lord Jesus, in your resurrection. We long for your justice. We long for a city with no gates. We long for, for a time when we don't have to worry about the threat of violence. We long for a time when we don't have to worry about being judged. Because Christ, you were judged once and for all for our sins. Know in all these things, says Paul in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure, now listen to the language that Paul uses, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, things to come, or powers. There is, there is no earthly system of sin there is no unjust system in this world that can keep you from the love of Jesus. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God will judge. And when he does, he will undo every system of injustice. He'll undo it all. And you and I will know an eternity in a city where no one has to worry about locking the gate. Because evil would have been eradicated and dealt with and rightly judged. This is the good news of the gospel. I, I will be honest, this is a hard psalm to sing. It's an easier psalm to sing if you know where you stand with Jesus. And if you want to receive the free gift of Jesus, the free gift of his grace, and you're willing to let Jesus pay the penalty for your sins on the cross and to receive his righteous gift, then I would encourage you today to do that. There's no magic, there's no, uh, there's no incantation. 
just a willing heart to receive the grace of God. And if you want it, you can have it. It's free. And Jesus would gladly take your sins. Pay for them on the cross. The verse that keeps coming to my mind is a verse in Hebrews. It said, for the joy set before him endured the, the cross, scorning its shame. In other words, it was a joy for Jesus to pay the penalty for your sins. That's how much he loves you. All right, so we've got a really cool announcement and some other things to talk about. We end our services with communion, prayer, and generosity. With communion this week, here's what I want you to think about. I mean, this is uh, an easy thought. Uh, as you're breaking the bread in your home, as you're taking the cup, uh, you remember Christ's body broken for you? You remember the blood shed for you? What you're, what you're saying is, when you're taking the bread, you're taking the cup, what you're saying is, Jesus, every dark thing I've ever done, you've covered. Like you're, What you're saying is that God the Father, pour out your vengeance on your Son for me. Let me live in light of his righteousness. That's a, what a beautiful gift this is. So celebrate communion and, and do that, you know, with a glad heart. I mean, really, truly, do it with a glad heart. Uh, prayer, uh, I'm just going to pray this week and close this out in prayer. I, think, I felt like Psalm 109 is heavy enough uh, for us, so I'm just going to close this out in prayer. Before I do, I want to tell you some good news. Uh, if you follow us on social media, you, you um, let me just say it this way. If you don't follow us on social media like Instagram at New City ABQ or Facebook at New City ABQ or Twitter at New City ABQ, um, shame on you. <laughs> so you really should. All right, because you know already what I'm about to tell you, that we, we signed the documents on uh, Thursday this week to uh, secure the purchase of the North Church building, or the building that North Church meets in, I should say. Uh, the building that North Church meets in, uh, we, we bought it from the owners of that building. Uh, uh, of, of the building that North Church rents. Uh, they are looking for a new space, and in, in a matter of months, oh, we'll be preparing for a relocation into that new space. But by God's grace, we were able to purchase that today. So thank you for your generosity. Continue to be generous uh, to the Be Good News initiative. Uh, now, let me, let me just pray for us. And the reason why I didn't want to have a corporate prayer today is I didn't know how to do this. I didn't quite know what to say. And so I'm just going to pray as the Spirit leads right now. So Father, um, I keep thinking as I was preparing for the sermon, just uh, people who've experienced the real dark stuff. Uh, people who've experienced um, the kind of hurt um, that, uh, uh, that sticks with you. But I've also been thinking about the people who've committed that pain, who've hurt people, and they just don't know um, if they could ever be forgiven. And so for each of those people, I want to pray this, I want to pray this way. For the one that has experienced that dark, really dark stuff in life, would you comfort with the knowledge of your judgment? Would you, would you comfort with the knowledge of your vengeance that you do care, you do see it, you are aware that you love this precious child of God, whoever this is, and that, that no sin is going to go un, unpunished? You're righteous in it, and you're good in it, and we can trust you for it. For the one who's done that really dark thing that, that, that doesn't, you know, just doesn't see how forgiveness could be possible for someone like them, I just, would you just open 
open eyes to the gruesomeness of the cross. Let the words of Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, just ring in the ears. Would you allow that, that heart to receive grace? To, to, let, to let the gruesome, the gruesome nature of the cross be real, be real enough that, that it can be believed in the heart that Jesus could cover even their sin. My prayer is that you will comfort us with your judgment as well as comfort us with your grace. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. God bless.